Hey, good morning. It is Don't At Me, and I am in my official OutKick gear. I was just reading a threat to me and my family on Instagram. I also got the OutKick t-shirt. Hey, Rashad Mendenhall, still nuts after all these years. Indiana with a monster win. That's right. Indiana got a huge win last night over not less head, but more head state. We're going to get into all of that, including, I, I didn't believe this when I saw it, the Eagles want who back? They want Frank Reich. What? We'll get into that. Sean Stiletto, the agent for Tommy DeVito, joins as well. Just keep it right here as Outkicks. Don't at me. Starts right now. Good morning. I am in resplendent in my Outkick gear. Most likely to yell. Let me see if I can get this right. Most likely to yell at a referee. That used to be me when I was insane. And of course, I got the Outkick gear. And well, I got Charlie's toxic masculinity is hot. But that's not what we're here to talk about. And if you want Outkick gear, all you got to do is go to Outkick.com. The store is up. It is fresh. And this gear is nice. This is like really nice stuff. We do it first class. Here at OutKick, you're not going to believe this, particularly you Colts fans and you Carolina Panther fans, but there is a clamoring. This is panic mode. There is a clamoring from the Philadelphia Eagles. Fans, smart fans, intelligent fans to do what? Bring Frank Reich back as the offensive coordinator. I'm going to say that again. Bring Frank Reich back as the OC. Not bring Frank Reich back as the mascot. No, 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 no. Bring Frank Reich back as the offensive coordinator. How about that? That guy wants to kill us. I don't want to be killed because of a post. What? What? Anyway, Lee says block it. I say publicize it. Anyway, Frank Reich, fans are in desperation mode. Fans want Frank Reich back. Now, look. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator in name only. Good morning. Bring Frank Reich back. Now, the answers to this are he has zero interest in returning. Are you crazy? Frank Reich has to be in the building today. I was against this at first. Now we're at the point where they're just failing Jalen Hurts. Frank Reich wasn't allowed to call the plays when he was there. He was not allowed. But again, people always want revisionist history they want to make this something that it's not and one of the things that it's not is frank reich was about as helpful to me as me in the eagles championship with nick Foles at the controls bring frank reich back is not going to solve your problems bringing frank reich back shows that you are desperate but hey it ain't my thing it ain't my thing frank reich Someone needs to get Frank Reich on the phone ASAP and have him at least be an advisor to BJ. That's the offensive coordinator. If not, replace him. Look, Frank Reich is an uber nice man. He's one of those guys that's so nice that you have to say that he's nice when you criticize him. Like Tom Allen, the basketball, the football coach at Indiana. You have to say, well, he's a really good dude. No, he, he's just a really good dude. And then you can rip him. And then you can talk that yang about him. Carter Miller, another one. Call Frank Reich right now, please. I can't take another week of this offense. Let me ask you a question. 
What offense of Frank Reich's do you like? It says here, George Ellis, Frank Reich could not help the last Carson Wentz. Neither will he help the current Carson Wentz, i.e. Jalen Hurts. I got to tell you, one it's one thing about Frank Reich to be brought back. But isn't it amazing how quickly fans just say, screw you? A guy just took him to the Super Bowl in Jalen Hurts. A guy that represents really everything good about professional sports is on a three-game losing streak. The season is just starting as we head to the last three games and then obviously into the playoffs. And people just lose their mind. Now, I get there's only 17 games in the NFL. So every single game matters and causes an overreaction either for the positive or for the negative. And I'm down with that. I am. Nobody's more down with those kind of things than me. I get it. I swear to you, I do. But let me ask you Indianapolis fans a simple question that are on the YouTube chat. Would you want Frank Reich back in the building? I mean, he's hugging Buckner, DeForest Buckner here. He's all about relationships. He knelt in the middle of the field and all the other players stood. He's, boom, social justice warrior. He's building mountains, climbing mountains, climbing trees. He got exposed on hard knocks as being kind of a buffoon. The Colts under Steichen actually show up to meetings on time. Well, I'll be dipped in spit. The Colts under Steichen actually have an organized plan. The Colts under Steichen may, in fact, win a division for the first time in God knows when. The Colts under Reich, well, not so much. They fired Reich for who? Vince Lombardi? No. Nick Saban? No. Bill Belichick? Uh Uh-uh. Tony Dungy came back? No. Jeff Saturday. He of the pancake blocks. He got fired for Jeff Saturday. Now, there's no, well... There's really no disgrace in getting fired from a coaching job. I mean, everybody does. Belichick's on the hot seat for crying out loud. The old saying in coaching is if they fired Bobby Knight at Indiana, they'll fire you too. But damn, Jeff Saturday, out of whatever booth he was in, backstabbed the living hell out of Frank Reich and got his job. And Frank Reich eventually got another job, went to Carolina, and got fired halfway through the first season. So don't even at me about this. Don't even try to at me about this. No. Eagles fans, you don't want Frank Reich back. That ship has sailed. That team with Foles, great. You had fantastic coordinators on that team. They're both head coaches now. Yay, Rock. Go fight, win. But the truth of the matter is you don't want Frank Reich back in that building. But I love the desperation. I do. I love it. I think the desperation is fascinating. I think the overreaction is beautiful. And I think it's what makes the NFL by far the most popular sport in the world because, frankly, we can't get enough of it every week. Your team wins. You're going to the Super Bowl. Your team loses. You got the number one draft pick. And there's nothing in between. The other reason that we like the NFL is because we got a whole lot of crazy. We got us a whole lot of crazy. So back a few years ago, there was a safety named Jamal Adams. He was leaving New York. He was a pain in the ass. They shipped him out to Seattle. He was a big mouth in Seattle, but he was supposedly very good. He was a guy that could play. He was a guy worth the money. He was a big shot 
free agent. Let's get him. And again, what are we doing? We're going to the Super Bowl because why? We got Jamal Adams. Well, guess what? Jamal Adams has regressed to being a healthy scratch for the Seattle Seahawks. Jamal Adams, as a healthy scratch, said, yo, man, you disrespecting me, so I'm going. Where are you going? I'm going home. What do you mean you're going home? Yep, I'm going home. Jamal Adams was not in the stadium last night after learning he would be a healthy scratch. This morning, Pete Carroll was on KIROAM radio, said, I think he was home. I think he was home. He just went home. Team guy, yo. Team guy. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a team dude. That's the kind of dude we can get down with right there. So, as karma would have it, Julian Love started in Adams' place and ended up having two interceptions late in the game to win it for Seattle. And one of them, the dude came flying out of nowhere, kept his feet in bounds, and it was wow. So, Adam says, I ain't going, I ain't staying. I'm out. There he is. Look at him. All intensity. Yeah. You get him, Jamal Adams. You showed Pete Carroll. You showed Seattle. You showed your teammates. You know what you showed them? Yes. You showed them yes. That's right. You showed them what you're really about. Just another NFL player acting like an idiot. They could have 20 idiots per team and we'll still watch. Speaking. George Pickens is the gift that keeps on giving. George Pickens and the clowns, oh, I'm sorry, the players of the Pittsburgh Steelers are crushing, crushing Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is a guy that has always had stability. Whether you like Mike Tomlin or not, Mike Tomlin, Bill Cowher, Chuck Knoll, and that's it. That's it. That is the people that have coached for the Roonies in Pittsburgh since I was a little kid. And I'm old, real old. Long story short, Mike Tomlin is being crushed by two idiots, George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson and George Pickens have decided that they are above the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have decided that they are better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have decided that everything that the Pittsburgh Steelers stand for is out the window and the world revolves around them. George Pickens somehow got into the University of Georgia. Now, I don't know how. I'm assuming it's because he's a football player. But my man Pickens said he didn't block in a viral clip from the game against the Colts because he ain't want to get hurt. I ain't want to get hurt. I was just trying to prevent the Tank Dell situation. I ain't want to get an injury. When you stay up on those blocks, you can get run up on. That's the reason. Good for him. Good for him. And Georgia, like Rashad Mendenhall at Illinois, how you let these clowns, how you funnel let these clowns in? 
I ain't want to get hurt. It would be fascinating to go read like a, 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 uh, uh, what's it called? A, an essay that this clown had to write for a class. I ain't want to get hurt. You ain't want to get hurt. No, I ain't want to get hurt. Oh, okay. Well, who does want to get hurt? I ain't want to get hurt. That's going to be my new thing. When my wife asked me in pickleball, why didn't I go for that one? I'm simply going to say, I ain't want to get hurt. When my kids ask me, why don't I want to take out the garbage? I ain't want to get hurt. That's a new family motto, along with no good deed goes unpunished and be careful what you wish for and sack the living hell up. I ain't want to get hurt. I got the other one. I ain't mad about it from another idiot that I have no idea how he got into Indiana. The late Lamar Jamarcus Ellis. He just passed away. When I had to suspend Jamarcus Ellis, he's like, oh man, I ain't mad about it. I go, I'm mad about it. I'd like to win a game and you're pretty good. But anyway, he ain't want to get hurt. That's why George Pickens doesn't block. The next time you hear NFL players talking about the brotherhood, the shield, the hard work, it's the ultimate team sport. Think about old number 14, George Pickens from the University of Georgia. Somehow he got in the University of Georgia. He went to Georgia from Hoover, Alabama. You know why? Because he ain't want to get hurt. And he thought maybe he would get hurt. You get run up on. I mean, if you do that blocking, you get run up on. So I'm staying out of the way. Now, you wonder why the Pittsburgh Steelers suck? Wonder no more. You wonder why Ben Roethlisberger says the culture of the Pittsburgh Steelers is gone? Wonder no more. Deontay Johnson and George Pickens crying on every play when they haven't shown that they can wipe their ass in the NFL is the reason. I say this all the time. You can call it whatever you would like. But when you got idiots in high-profile situations, you ain't want to win in the NFL. I want you to think about something. Tom Brady, you ever see those guys either on Tampa Bay, Mike Evans, and anything else? You ever see those guys? You ever see them have idiots on their team? You ever? Of course you didn't. No, because they win. You don't have idiots. Randy Moss, complete dumbass when he was younger, he grew up, became a team guy, became a guy whose team, well, George Tyree, I think was his name, had to make the helmet catch from Eli Manning to win the game. That guy Manningham, left sideline, I think it was, Manning threw it to him to beat the New England Patriots, undefeated season. Think he was a jackass? No. You know, the idea of talent just absolutely crushes team. Now, real talent includes brains. Real talent includes team. Real, real talent includes enthusiasm. And guess what? George Pickens ain't not got that talent. If he did, then the Steelers finna win. Deontay Johnson, he ain't got, got no talent either because talent includes brains, togetherness, toughness. And if they did, then the Steelers finna win. But right now, the Steelers suck, and George Pickens and Deontay Johnson suck worse. They do. It makes me crazy because general managers that don't figure that out make me nutser. And everybody goes through it. 
Every single person goes through it. Uh, I'll tell you what's not a shock. We were supposed to have Sean Stilato on, the agent for Tommy DeVito. Well, yesterday, Tommy DeVito showed up at the pizza place that caused the controversy. Yesterday, Tommy DeVito, who apparently pissed the pizza place off by asking for $20,000 instead of $10,000, well, the pizza place said, yeah, we ain't doing it. Well, Tommy DeVito went to the pizza joint, Caligio's. He went and he got a lesson. He showed up. Good for Tommy DeVito. He got embarrassed. He showed up. So he goes to the pizza place next uh, for free, by the way. Next thing you know, there was an announcement. The announcement was Tommy DeVito is going to change his off-the-field agent. He's getting an agency that handles the marketing. Probably pretty smart. Nothing wrong with that. Probably, you know what? Good for you, man. You probably need it. I mean, you've all of a sudden become a big-shot guy. Problem is, Sean Stiletto... He's still going to be DeVito's agent for on the field stuff, but not off the field, apparently. So when I saw this yesterday, the thing that I said to Nick and Nick and everybody was, I'll bet you there's a problem. I'll bet you the Italian doesn't show up today, Stilato, because of this. And that's sad. So I just got a text that said, hey, looks like Sean Stilato has to reschedule. Hey, good. I'm all in on him, man. Good for him if he's got to reschedule. Hell, I don't blame him. I don't know. I mean, it's easier to sit, run, hide, I guess. I don't even know if that's run and hiding. Maybe you don't want to answer. Maybe you don't know the answer right now. I don't know. But what I do know is this. Good for Tommy DeVito for showing up. Not actually great for Tommy DeVito for showing up. And that pizza place doesn't look like some just old school mom and pop piece of place. That looks like a fancy pizza place. So good for him. Tommy DeVito also said apparently to Stilato, hey, look, let's do this. Let's lose the Italian emphasis, right? Because I guarantee you dudes in the locker room, the brothers are like, hey, man, cut out that Italian stuff. Italians kill people, you know, because that's the level of stupid in the locker room. But anyway... So Stilato is still the on-field guy. He's not the marketing guy, apparently. And Tommy DeVito did a good thing. Tommy DeVito got embarrassed. He was a stand-up guy. And here's how this happens. So DeVito's trying to win, and he's got Stilato as an agent. Stilato's got all these ideas because that's what agents other than mine are supposed to do. So Stilato comes to him, says, hey, we got this pizza joint in Morristown. We want you to come to. Great. They're going to pay you 10 grand. Great. Okay, do it. Yeah. Well, Stilato understands that DeVito is blown up. And he's like, well, we need 20. Pizza guy says, no, we ain't doing that. Come on, man. We're mom and pop. We're family owned. We can't afford that. Stilato says no dice. Now, DeVito may not have even known this happened. But anyway, Pizza Gate. Pizza Gate is okay. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at uh stilato and he's welcome back on the show in fact i kind of don't blame him i mean you don't really want to go on a show after you've been after you've had this situation unless you want to come on a show and say why the situation happened and what we're doing to rectify it 
But once I saw yesterday that Stellato was getting the boot for the marketing stuff, I knew that we might not see old Stellato. No. Uh, what a night for John Morant. Remember John Morant, the guy, kid, child, whose daddy thinks he's Usher, whose mommy gets mad when they go into the footlocker and she doesn't get waited on in front of all the white people. So they show up with their toy guns and they flash guns at Pacers officials underneath the stadium and they make rap videos with guns after the guy's been told, hey, look, by the NBA, don't have guns. Well, he suspended for 25 games. He lost a lot of money, but he showed up yesterday and he showed out. Yo, that's right. People ask me, why do I do that? Because it means that I am down. When I go like this, that means that I am down. Watch anybody's that's down. They always go, hey, man. What is that? That means that I'm down for the cause. Whatever the cause is. That's right. 34 is what John Morant dropped. He hit an epic game winner. He hit himself a floater. They won, they being the Grizz. They beat, uh, what's his fat guy's name? Uh, Zion Williamson. And I'm wondering if Zion Williamson even played. That'd be a lot, I mean, for him to play. Doesn't look like he played. Anyway, um, long story short, he hit the game winner. Oh, there's Zion Williamson. Uh, He hits the game winner in a comeback. Uses the spin cycle, they said. Hey, look, I hope this kid gets his act together. My good friend, Seth Greenberg, said, hey, This is a really good dude. This is back before he got fame, not Greenberg, but Morant. Morant, really good dude when he was at Murray State. Just a fascinating, great kid, great family. But as oft times happens, fame, money corrupts. Mo money, say it with me, mo problems. And that's what happened to the usher wannabe. And that's what happened to the criminal wannabe, the gangsta with a sta, not er, sta. The gangsta, the fake gangsta that is John Morant and all his buddies. But coming off of suspension, what do I always tell you? Say it with me. Your first game's your best. Now, Morant's that kind of good. He is. He's that kind of good. So he'll continue to be that kind of good. I just hope he gets his head out of his backside. I hope his daddy becomes a daddy, not just another hanger on. And it all ends well, period. Hey, speaking of ended well, yesterday, my beloved Indiana Hoosiers were down 11. Yeah, I said it, 11 at halftime to Moorhead State. Now, you got to understand, Indiana was an 11-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Moorhead State. When I saw the line, I thought to myself, my God, Indiana basketball, I got two words for you, my ass. Indiana basketball slogan is Indiana is the shit. That's actually the slogan that Indiana and Mike Woodson, the cigar, red wine, smoking after loss, million dollar, millions of dollar head coach actually wants out there as Indiana university slogan. Think about that. Indiana is the shit. That's what Mike Woodson says. 
and they put a bunch of little white kids in a video to say, Indiana's the shit. And then, of course, they had a couple brothers and some sisters. And if Indiana could put a transgender, uh, what's it called? If they could put a transgender uh, elf out there, they would do that. But they can't find one. But Indiana's the shit. They had a 98% probability of losing down 13 with about eight minutes to go. So what did I do? I live bet Indiana. I got two and a half. Yeah, that's right. I got two and a half points. My toes were tapping. Indiana wins. Had Indiana not won, this show would have been, oh, I don't know, two hours of me ripping, racing, and rolling. Now, that's a big win for Indiana. Because, well, frankly, Indiana sucks right now. They're going to be good. And Mike Woodson gets to drink his red wine, smoke his stogies, and celebrate a big win over Moorhead State. Yay, Ra. Go fight. Win. My friend, the cash man, said Indiana plays like sh- So it's an apt slogan. Uh, speaking of just weird, anybody think ever – that when Lori Lightfoot was voted out of Chicago, the level of mayor of Chicago's intelligence would actually go down. The stupidity out of the mouth of the mayor of Chicago would actually be worse or better. I'm not sure which way you go with stupidity. Is stupidity worse or is stupidity better? I don't know. But here's the mayor of Chicago crying about, well, the migrant problem in Chicago. Now, why is he crying? Because African-Americans are starting to wake up. African-Americans are saying, yo, hold on. We're being kicked out of our spaces. We're being compromised because, well, frankly, these illegal immigrants are taking our stuff. Now, remember this when you hear this clown talking, Brandon Johnson, talking about the migrant situation, the illegal immigrant situation in Chicago. Governor Abbott has sent truckloads, busloads up to Chicago. Here, remember, you're a sanctuary city. You're supposed to deal with them. Here's the mayor of Chicago. The issue is not just how we respond in the city of Chicago, it's the fact that we have a governor, a governor, an elected official in the state of Texas that is placing families on buses without shoes, cold, wet, tired, hungry, afraid, traumatized, and then they come to the city of Chicago where we have homelessness, we have mental health clinics that have been shut down and closed, you have people who are seeking employment. The The governor of Texas needs to take a look in the mirror of the chaos that he is causing for this country. This is not just a Chicago dynamic. He is attacking our country. Really? Now, what's Biden doing about it? All I know is this. I'm the governor of Texas. We had a closed border because of Trump's policies. I mean, you can argue that, and that's fine, but anybody with a brain that has paid attention understands it. So, you know, you've got this jackass who is, hey, look, look, 
word. Hey, hold on. We are a sanctuary city. Bring everybody. You're tired, you're weak, you're poor. So people come across the border because they want to be in the United States without shoes, tired, mental health issues. You're a sanctuary city. You brag about it. You're for all people. So the governor says, look, we can't handle all of this down here. Can't handle all these people. Need some help. Check notes. Where's the sanctuary city? Chicago. Black mayor. Liberal. Dying to help everybody, right? Let's send people. Ain't the governor's fault they don't have shoes. What's he supposed to do? Take them to Dillard's? What's he supposed to do? Hey, everybody, come on here. No, the bigger issue, uh, Brandon Johnson, why are your Democratic buddies, why is Biden leaving an open border? It's very simple. That's the attack on our country. I mean, look, you the one. You Chicagoites, Lori Lightfoot, Brandon Johnson, Yay, we want your vote. We're a sanctuary city. Look how great we are. But the brothers and sisters in Chicago are saying, time out. We got a mess. They're taking away our services. They're taking away our free stuff. And they're at least in Chicago waking up to that. At least. I mean, it would be nice if the African-American community woke up to what Charles Barkley said. African-Americans have been voting Democrats in big cities for a long time, and African-Americans keep being poor. But not this guy. I guarantee you this guy's getting fat. P-H-A-T-F-A-T in the wallet. Guarantee you his scamming ass is. And don't give me any crap about calling somebody a scammer because they're African-American and the mayor of Chicago. Being a scammer as the mayor of Chicago goes back to the old man daily. I mean, don't think he wasn't a scammer. If you're the mayor of Chicago, you got, you're running a game. You're running some kind of game. So these guys, all these sanctuary cities, all your little neighbors, I got a little neighbor, young family. They put that thing out. Nobody's illegal. All Black Lives Matter, blah, 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 blah. And I said to him one time, I said, yeah. I said, Governor Abbott drops off a busload of illegal immigrants on our little cul-de-sac, I'll let them stay with you. They can stay with you. They ain't staying with me. Work too hard. Work too hard. No, no. They ain't staying with me. They stay with you. You know, I saw about a week or so after that, that sign went down. You know, Broad Ripple is a big liberal place in Indianapolis. I mean big. Everybody's getting, no one's illegal, blah, blah. And they're the worst human beings alive shooting, robberies, everything. But hey, they got their little signs up there. And I got to tell you, Brandon Johnson, you're a liberal clown. You got called on your bullshit. It's traditional, except it doesn't usually happen in this day and age. It never happens to an African-American where you get called on your bullshit. People are calling Rashad Mendenhall on his bullshit about a race bowl. Let's have a race bowl. That dude got a white wife. Or at least he ain't got a black wife. It's some amazing, amazing stuff we got going on in these parts, as they say. Hey, keep sending them to Chicago. You take them. Hey, man, you got that Jordan store right there, right on the Magnificent Mile. Brandon Johnson, 
You take them. How did San Francisco clean up their city for a communist, murderous, genocidal dictator and Chicago can't clean up its city? I don't think so. I don't think you want to clean up your city. Bruce Feldman is a writer that I don't really respect for Fox. He wrote an article on me when I left West Virginia that was so stupid that whenever I see Bruce Feldman, I don't even want to see him. I don't want to talk. He was just so dumb. He wrote it for ESPN, the magazine. So when Bruce Feldman speaks, rare, although Urban likes him, so I guess I should like him. But when he speaks, I don't know. But here's the debate. You ready, college football fans? Is this going to be Jim Harbaugh's last game? Or is this going to be, wait for it, Nick Saban's last game? Bruce Feldman said there's a better chance that Jim Harbaugh is coaching his last game than Nick Saban. He's flirted with the NFL previous two off-seasons. In fact, he went and interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings on signing day, no less, two years ago. Because on signing day, you're supposed to kneel at the altar of 18 to 23-year-olds. Then last year, he was in a mix with the Broncos job, turned it down, been through a lot. He told me when I saw him in the summer that they were going to break Georgia's record and have 20 guys drafted off this team. And they're going to have a lot of guys drafted off this team. The nucleus is going to move on to the NFL. I got to tell you, if coaching in the NFL is the pinnacle for Jim Harbaugh, then Jim Harbaugh's got to leave. His brand's never been better. If it's not, if coaching at Michigan is the pinnacle, then you don't leave. It's that simple. Michigan apparently has an $11 million a year contract, five-year contract sitting on his desk, even though the Big Ten suspended Harbaugh three games, even though he made the president of Michigan look like an idiot, the AD of Michigan look like an idiot by withholding what the real problems were in his program, even though his own school had to suspend him for three games. I've told you this before, and I will tell you again. Ladies and gentlemen, it does not matter. It does not matter even a little bit what you do, both good and bad, as long as you win. The great Royce Waltman said it best. Get fired for anything but losing, and you'll always get another job. Period. Jim Harbaugh, because he's winning, can get suspended for half a season. Jim Harbaugh because he's winning and going to the college football playoff, can now have his pick of jobs. Here's the deal, though. If I were an NFL team, I don't want some weird dude handling my PR, meaning he's the face. I'm putting millions into this. I don't need weirdness, but I will say this about Jim Harbaugh. Through all of this stuff, suspended by the team or the school, suspended by the league, He's handled it pretty well. He hasn't whined. He hasn't bitched. He hasn't given in. He hasn't cried. He hasn't been like that clown assistant that's sitting there crying. He hasn't done any of that. You know what he's done? Just kind of gone about his business. I think he ends up in the NFL. I think he ends up with the Bears, but I don't know. All right, a weird story out of Indy, and I've got contacts all over the Colts, and everyone has gone 
silent. So I'm going to have to go to others to get why this happened. Now, I never go to others. Never. But I got to tell you, this is very weird. Three games to go in the NFL season. The Colts are going pretty good. They suspended wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie, who has played a bunch, and Tony Brown for the final three games of the regular season. Nobody's saying why. The official reason is contract conduct detrimental to the team. They provided no specifics. Both are special teams guys. I don't get it. Like, if it's gambling, I was told early in the year, now maybe it's changed, that the NFL, when they suspended Isaiah Rogers from the Colts and a couple others and Calvin Ridley last year, wanted it to be very public that guys that gambled were going to be suspended as a way of deter or deterring others from gambling. That's what I was told. So I don't know that this is gambling related. I don't know that it's not. But I will say this. This is one of the oddest things that I have seen. We're kicking you out for the season. Now, I've been reading stories on this. I've been making calls on this. It will eventually leak. The Colts are being weirdly buttoned up about this. Nine out of ten times, the Colts have big mouths. Maybe Shane Steichen is going to run this like a professional organization. Maybe he's telling everybody, look, shut your damn mouth. And from a Colts perspective, a Colts fan perspective, we should be excited about this. Going back to our initial story of the day with the Philadelphia Eagles wanting Frank Reich back, when Frank Reich was in Indy, none of this would ever happen. Darius Leonard never would have been cut. When Chuck Pagano was there, Darius Leonard would have been one of his, quote, OGs. The OGs of the locker room controlled the locker room. Never would have been cut because he can't play dead anymore. And by the way, Darius Le- or Shaquille Leonard can't play dead anymore. But this kind of stuff would never have happened. I'm guessing a fight. I'm guessing something like that. But it's only a guess. I'll have it probably by the end of the day, so stay to my Twitter But I got to tell you, when I saw this, my initial reaction was one of three things. First, gambling, but then I was told it might be, but they really, they want that out more than not out. Okay, let's just say it's not gambling. Something with women in the building. Something. A fight between the two of them that got completely and totally out of hand or some type criminal charge that we haven't heard of yet. Criminal charge we probably would have heard. Indianapolis is not that big a town. But this is weird. And only going to get weirder. We were supposed to have Sean Stilato on, who is the agent of Tommy DeVito. He had to reschedule. Hey, look, when it's your career, you do whatever the hell you want. We'll try to get him back on. I got a ton of stuff going on. Look, the new and improved OutKick. Dot com is finally live. Stock up on golf polos like this. I got all the goods. I got this one here. Look at this. Go woke, go broke, outkick. I got Charlie's. I got Charlie's toxic masculinity is hot. I was wearing it this morning on her show. All you got to do, it's the best way to trigger the libs in style. I'm buying. I got them. So if Double D's buying, that means you have to, too. Hey, by the way, we're going to have – 
some don't at me gear. We'll have sack up gear. We'll have all kinds of stuff, but it's new and improved. Go to shop.outkick.com. By the way, there it is. It's glorious. These are nice. These Travis Matthews polos are nice. Really nice. I'm looking sharp today. I think I'm playing golf. I'm going to take my nephew's money. And you know what? I may wear this polo. Unless it's hot, then I got to go with white. Anyway, when we come back, another coach on the hot seat. Holy cow. Arthur Blank says he don't know what he's going to do with his namesake, Arthur Smith. Man. And more on Indiana basketball and the Colts when we come back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, YouTube chat, Sean Black is asking about the golf match. You know, had I won, I'd have talked about it. We go to 18. It's Urban and my friend Brad Laconi against me and my buddy Cam. We all got to get up and down. I'm first because I'm out. I knock in about a 10, 12-foot putt, and I'm watching these two going, all right, let's see. Urban then knocks in a little seven-footer. Nice. My boy Laconi knocks in a five-footer, and Cam – he knocked his in, but it was for bogey, so we lost on the last hole. I think they cheated. They didn't, but I think they did. I mean, what the hell? And then on Saturday, we played the best course I've ever played. It was called uh, uh, Calusa Pines. I never played a better golf course. That was me right there. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan. Oh, man. Look at that forehead. That's glorious. Yeah, I'm ripped. That's right. I'll take my shirt off in the middle of a golf match and start throwing hands. You get in my way, pal. I played Calusa Pines, but it was pouring. And uh, Caddy's like, what are you guys doing? Like, I don't know. We're going to play. I lost my hands. And we played 15 holes. And then they basically had to kick us out because the place was so nice. They have a rule there. When the last member leaves, everybody's got to leave. And none of us were members, so we had to leave. But anyway... That was a great time. Urban played his brains out. Good for him. Good for him. Um, Aaron Rodgers yesterday on Pat McAfee's show said something I think we all understand, don't we? I mean, don't we all understand that if Aaron Rodgers was in the playoffs, if the Jets were in the playoffs, Rodgers would try to make it back? Don't we figure that? And if Rodgers, being a smart guy that he is, uh, I do think, that with him out of the playoffs, he's done. He's not coming back this year. I don't know that he could have ever came back. He has indicated that he could, but he won't. It wouldn't be smart. Look, anybody that's ever had an Achilles will tell you that the time frame that he thought or he proposed to be on just isn't reasonable. It really isn't reasonable. Now, people have asked me, I was on Charlie's show this morning, and people have asked me, hey, look, do you think the Jets should stay with Rodgers? Well, the answer is, of course. Don't you think they have to stay with Rodgers? You get an NFL quarterback, you got to stay with them. And Rodgers has given them absolutely zero on field. Not his fault. He's hurt. But all he's really contributed is whatever they got out of hard knocks. Season tickets, I'm sure, went through the roof when he announced he was coming. But they got nothing, a, a zero from him relative to on the field and they're paying him a lot of money. So you got him under contract for another year. So let's go. Look, I, I think it's an absolute no brainer. And, and I'm always surprised 
Like there's a lot of people on Twitter and other places that are like, yeah, I'd move on from him. Well, the question then becomes who are you moving on to, Sean Black? I mean, look, in Cleveland, they're on their like fifth quarterback. Deshaun Watson, MIA, DTR is okay. Now you're on Joe Flacco and you're winning. But here's the problem with the New York Jets and tell me I'm wrong. Joe Douglas, the general manager of the New York Jets and Robert Sala and everybody involved looks even dumber for drafting Zach Wilson second. Think about this. You've got guys like a 39-year-old Joe Flacco. You've got guys like Gardner Minshew. You've got guys like Jake Browning leading teams into playoff contention after the clear number one quarterback went down. Now, it's a little different from this standpoint. Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer, but it's also a little different in the positive for the Jets because their backup quarterback, Zach Wilson, was a number two pick in the draft. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, Case Keenum's been on 15 different teams. Gardner Minshew actually was kind of sort of given a job with Jacksonville, couldn't hold it. Then they drafted over him. Then he got cut. Then he went on. And Jake Browning, well, he just beat the Vikings and lost his mind because the Vikings cut him two times once without even telling him. But you got the number two pick in the draft who's only in his third year. And this guy can't do what these other guys are doing. That makes you look worse. So this whole thing with Rodgers, as we sit here right now, unless you're just going to say interest and season tickets has been a complete bust. And you go forward and it's an even bigger bust because Zach Wilson looks even worse. And I know, honest to God, what do I tell you, Indiana fans? Mommies, daddies need to be off Twitter and social media. Well, it's the same thing in the NFL. Anybody heard from Eli Apple ever since his mommy became a star? Zach Wilson's mommy is not, well, he's got concussions. Well, he, shut up. You know what Zach Wilson's mom should do seriously? Just be hot. Just be a MILF. Just be hot MILF. Get your bikini, little ski bunny outfit, go down the slopes. But I'm telling you, mommies and daddies in the media, on social media, commenting on, making excuses, demanding, why just stupid. Kim Mulkey, I guarantee you, Kim Mulkey told, I promise you, she told those mothers way back a couple weeks ago that were going at each other on social media to shut the hell up. Now, you fans like it because, look, C.J. Gunn's dad is talking on social media while C.J. Gunn can't play dead. He's a player at Indiana. I've said this since a guy named Bobby Capabianco. Bobby Capabianco, when social media first got going, was a player at Indiana. Nice kid. Nice family. But mommy was on the social media tour. She was on the peaks, the message boards. She was on Twitter. Guess what happened? Guess what? Didn't go well for Bobby Capabianco. Next thing you know, mommy has to start arguing. Mommy has to make excuses. Guess what then happened? Bobby Capabianco ended up at Valpo. Same thing with Mike Woodson's little daughter. 
Mike Woodson's little daughter was coming at me. Mike Woodson's little daughter was coming at everybody. She doesn't have a job. She's a little influencer. And now when it's like, hey, Ben, you can barely beat Moorhead. You don't beat anybody any good. You don't hear nothing. It's never good. When my son was playing at Michigan and at Ohio State, I didn't say jack squat about him, Michigan, or Ohio State. I didn't say nothing. Zero. Zip. Zilch. It never freaking ends well. Don't do it. Look, you're Jake Fromm's mom. You're hot. Go be hot. You're Zach Wilson's mom. You're hot. Go be hot. Nobody needs your philosophy. Nobody needs your excuses. It doesn't end well. All right. I don't see anybody other than Dan Quinn when he blew like he didn't blow nothing, 28 to whatever lead. I don't see nothing ended up well in Atlanta. Mike Smith stunk. Arthur Smith, here's what the owner, Arthur Blank, said about Arthur Smith, his coach. We'll let the season play out. All right. It's the third season under Smith. They're six and eight. They're boring as hell. There's nothing interesting. And to his credit, you know, I don't know whether Arthur Smith got rid of Matt Ryan, but I know this. They got Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heinke in there. There is no Bijan Robinson. Now, everybody says Arthur Smith is not using Bijan Robinson right. How does anybody know? It's a rookie running back. How does anybody know? Maybe, just maybe, the guy can't block anybody. Maybe, just maybe, the guy can't get nothing done. How does anybody know? Will you tell me? So people always say the dreaded owner curse is the vote of confidence. Well, as a guy that was a coach, you know what I would like? I would rather have the curse than the, well, we'll wait till the end of the season. Now, they're six and eight. I watched them the other day. They got beat by Carolina. You could make the argument it was in the rain. It was on the road. It was the dullest game since the pandemic. But now they're at home. Now they play the Colts. Now the Colts are playing within a little esprit de corps. Now the Colts are looking at the playoffs. Colts are on the other end of this. Shane Steichen has become, he's the Colts coach, has become the odds-on favorite to be the uh, coach of the year in the NFL. Only a one-point dog the Colts are. I'm taking that. I'm taking Colts in the points all day. And if I lose, I lose. But when you got all this crap going on and you got a team that just lost to Carolina, you got an owner that's talking, I will take the Colts. In fact, I'm probably going to do it right now for as much money as I care to bet. The biggest bet I ever made was 1000 bucks. I don't like betting more than 100 Maybe 110 with some juice. You know what I'm saying. But I got to tell you, when I see this, the first thing I think of is what's the line? What are we playing for? Now, look, I understand seven and seven is in the league in the very inept Baker Mayfield led NFC West. I get it. I do. So, yes, Atlanta's playing for something. But when you got all this crap going on, ladies and gentlemen, Do what your Uncle Dan did. I'll wait on the sack attack because all things must run through Philip Beast. Never mind. All things must run 
But the truth of the matter is Philip B. Wilson will tell me, remember Philip B. Wilson in Indy? Philip B. Wilson was a writer and all things gambling. When I first started had to be run through Philip B. Wilson. I don't know where Philip B. is now. Anybody on the chat want to tell me? Colts plus one. I'll take that today. I'll take that tomorrow. And then I'll bet it on the money line. You kidding me? That's the rule of 84. Taking that like it's my job. So anyway, why you got to have a coach. I don't, you know, if you don't, if you're going to fire the coach, you know what's best to do? Just shut up. Just shut up. Yeah, just shut up. Here's something I thought is interesting. Let me tell you what you, what would you do? You're a big time college football program. You're Florida state. You're in a big time college football league, the ACC. You go undefeated in that league, man, you battle to go undefeated too. your quarterback Heisman trophy kind of guy gets hurt. Backup comes in, win a couple games. He's hurt. You got to go win the ACC championship with your third string quarterback. And you do, but hold on, hang on caller. You know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. You didn't make the playoff. Didn't make the college football playoff as an undefeated power five team. What would you do? Would you just chalk it up to, well, you know, there's 12 teams next year, have the same kind of year, and we'll get in. Well, you know, even if we lose a game, they owe it to us, they'll put us in next year. Or, and this is the exact quote, would you renew in-depth conversations about its long-term future in the ACC? What that means is, would you start thinking about skedaddling from the ACC, would you start thinking, wait a second. We ran this joint. Miami came in. They were supposed to be good. Carolina's got all the money in the world. This league kind of sucks. Now, interesting. You know what? Syracuse in the ACC, which is weird, got the quarterback McCord from Ohio State, paid a lot of money. McCord went into the offices of Ohio State and said, hey, I want to be the starter and I want big money. I don't know if it was a million, two million, but that's come out in the papers. And Ryan Day said, yeah, we ain't doing that. Now, maybe Ryan Day should have, maybe he shouldn't have, but I respect, yo, Ryan Day for doing that. Syracuse also got a big-time recruit that was going to look at Alabama and Georgia. So Syracuse is paying. They got the bag out. Good for the Qs. But the fact of the matter is, if you're looking at that league and you're looking at what's going on in the SEC, you look at the newly revamped Big 12 and Big 10, you're going, wait a second. Virginia, no good. Duke, no good. I don't care if Duke won a few games, no good. North Carolina, Mac, no good. Miami, no good. Florida State, pretty good. Louisville, eh. Syracuse, eh. I mean, what are we really looking at here in football? Clemson, good. Really good. They're the one team, when they're not good, though, as they weren't this year, hurts the whole league because the league, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, Syracuse was a top two or three team like normal, and one of the victories on Florida State's docket was against that particular Clemson team. Now you're in business. If I'm Florida State, I ain't mad at you for looking. I don't know where you're going to go. But I bear, I'll bet you the SEC, I'll bet you the Big 12, maybe even the Big 10, although that seems like dummies retreat, Florida State. 
I think Florida State's one of those schools that if you hold a slide rule or slide thing underneath it and you breathe and it fogs up, you get into school. That's what I think. I mean, I'm right. That's how I look at Florida State. I don't know. Dummies retreat. That's what we used to call Purdue. Hey, man, you going to Dummies Retreat or you going to Indiana? Where are you going? Uh, we, <laughs> Jack Brewer is going to join us when we come back. And by the way, don't forget, starting on January 3rd, January 3rd, it's on, baby. We're moving this act to Outkick.com. You can still get the show. You can get videos on our $1.5 million subscriber YouTube channel. But here you got to go, our website. You see beautiful people. Look at Chad. Look at Jonathan. Kelly in Vegas, Double D. What are you talking about? All you got to do is hit that button right there, and there we are. Armando, very handsome. Tommy and Charlie. They're good-looking people. We should start calling it the Good-Looking Network. Very handsome, very pretty, easy. Starting on January 3rd, Jack Brewer next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. You know, we tell you all the time, we only like talking to smart people on this show, people that know. Longtime NFL player, three-time captain, our friend Jack Brewer, nice enough to join us, founder of the Jack Brewer Foundation. All right, Jack, I got to tell you, now, I don't take these things too serious. Uh, We got a black versus white Pro Bowl going on. We need some corners on the white team, Jack. We need some cornerbacks. We don't have any. We got nothing. You guys got no kickers. We got no corners. (laughs) Man, it would be it would be pretty entertaining, right? I I think people would quickly start to appreciate uh, the diversity that they get to watch their teams play uh, each and every Sunday. You know, it was fascinating though because like uh, people always they always say, I mean, right, let me go this route with you because I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, these things are always discussed in locker rooms. These are the kind of things that get discussed, like. Like in basketball locker rooms, it was always, all right, who's the greatest American white basketball player? This isn't like, I guess when it gets out of a locker room, people think it's crazy, but stuff like this gets, you sit down with your teammate, black or white, and you talk about things like this. Oh, no doubt. I mean, especially when you talk about jumping, you know, I remember growing up the the movie, White Man Can't Jump. They 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 never allow that movie to come out today. And so, you know, a lot of it is in, in good humor and fun. And I think, you know, the problem is, is when people start taking it serious and it, and it, and it, and it really you walk around and all you see uh, is skin color uh, through your th- through that lens. And I think that's what's unfortunate is for some people, uh, they just they, they take it too far. Yeah, you know, it's the easiest thing to jump on. And I, and I always say, like, this stuff sometimes just isn't that deep. I, I get it. Maybe people want it to be. But again, this is stuff that guys talk about. I mean, you know, it just is. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think, you know, particularly when you start talking about 
coaching that gets people uh, in a little tiff because obviously, you know, for so long, black coaches didn't get a chance to coach. Uh, now they actually teams are forced to interview <laughs> black coaches. And so, you know, on the, when, and on the player side, though, you know, I think over the last 20, 30 years, you've seen a huge jump. I think 70 percent of all NFL players now are, are, are black. Uh, and so, you know, I hope I hope the white boys don't start complaining and saying, hey, we need to we need to get some more positions at the at the receiver spot uh, and at the and at the cornerback spot, um, because I'm not sure that that, that management would, would like that too much. But, you know, in, in all seriousness, man, um, we all know that, you know, different people do different things very well. And I think that should be celebrated uh, more than it should be used to cause division. I've always said, like, I want equity at cornerback. I want to be in there. I want to be a cornerback, damn it. But I've always said, I don't care. Like, when I played or when I coached or now as a fan, I don't care who the Colts start. I don't care. I I just want them to win. You know what right. I mean? Like, and I know right. when I was coaching, it was like, well, we got to you know, we got to have a certain guy that I wanted, uh, you know, a character, blah, 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 great. Okay, fine. But bottom line is, particularly in the NFL, I don't give a shit. Just win the freaking game is how I look at the NFL, right or that's wrong. Right. I don't know. Win, win the game. And that's, and that's all it's about. I mean, just no different than this. Damn, people tune into your show because they want to hear your perspective. Uh, they don't care if you're white, black, green, or purple. So uh, for me to come and say, hey, you know, Dan can't break down football or, or, or Dan wouldn't be can't his analysis uh, is, is not as pure uh, because he didn't run a four three. I think that's when idiocy kicks in because uh, it really makes no sense. I mean, to be able to to use your logic and to communicate with people, uh, to engage an audience like all those skills and those intangible skills. Those count, too. And so it's it's more than just skin color. <laughs> and I'll no, you're right. You know, I do know what he – I'll give Mendenhall this, to your point. As a player, I want to listen to people that I respect their opinion. And one thing I've always said, it's very easy to turn the channel. Don't listen – don't go to them on X. So if you don't like somebody's perspective, whether they're white or black or they played or they didn't play, Turn the damn channel. Right. No doubt. And turn the channel. And then you have a, you have those options, but to to want to solo that all or as a player, he was a much better uh commentator than he was player in my eyes because he could literally relate to the audience and tell you exactly what he was seeing from the field perspective. And everyone couldn't do that. It was a clear advantage. Um, but at the same time, you know, no one's gonna tell us tell us. Um, that when we popped on um, ESPN and, and, and watched some of the greatest of, of the greats, uh, you know, present the games, uh, Stuart Scott and those individuals like that, that we didn't love their commentating because they had a skill set that was unique uh, and something that appealed to the audience. And so to discount that, uh, I, I, I think is outlandish. Yeah, I, I always said you got to be part entertainer. You got to, you know, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you do it in a drab, dull manner, it doesn't really matter, you know, it, it, too much. Hey, I got to ask you about something. I, I, um, I'm watching this Anthony Edwards thing where, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a policy that I've told my kids. Whatever you do is going to have consequences, but don't share private stuff. Somebody texts you, don't share it. 
somebody, you, you know, if somebody's on Twitter and you want to go back and forth, that's fine. Um, I don't like where we're at with private texts, private messages being put out there. I just don't like it. And I don't like, you know, Edwards has to answer for it now. And it, but it's, it's a dirty business for him, the woman, everybody around in my view. Yeah. I, I think it goes too far. Um, I remember my coach used to tell us that no matter what you do or say, do it knowing that it can end up on the front page of USA Today. Right. And so I was taught that. And that was coach Glenn Mason, who's, he was like a second dad to me, the greatest coach I ever had on any level of sports uh, because he taught us those life lessons. He said that, and he said another thing. He didn't use this word, but he basically said, your relationship with a woman and relations with a woman is undefeated. You will never win. He used a different word, right. but it's word. undefeated. And you know what word I'm saying. And it, and it's true. And I think, you know, Edwards in the, in the, in the place that he's in, in his life, I don't blame her because he should know better as a father, as a former athlete, I'm not going to place blame on a girl because he should have never put himself in that situation. He has too many resources. He's seen too much. He's been through programs. He's, 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 he's a professional athlete. It's certain codes as professional athletes that we know. And you don't break those codes. And so I think he he stepped out of bounds. I think he got too comfortable. I think a lot of these athletes these days are getting too comfortable. Uh, I think the culture is 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 blinding them and manipulating their minds. I mean, to think, I mean, listen, that is illegal, first and foremost, for you to um, try to coerce somebody with money to do something like that through money, like that's illegal. You could go to jail for a long time and ruin your career. And so those things are serious. And so that's what concerns me is that he didn't have people in his corner or maybe he doesn't have a, a, a fatherly or influence or a mentor or someone to teach him against that. Because if you read those text messages, I mean, that's dangerous, especially for I me mean, talking to a woman that apparently he didn't have a deep, deep relationship with. And so um, I, I pray for him, to be honest with you, Dan, man, because um, I, you would hate to see a guy. I mean, he's an amazing player. A young kid seems to be a great dude. You'd hate to see a kid like that end up getting in trouble uh, over a, a stupid decision like that. I want to go back to something you said, uh, programs. It, it, things don't happen in a vacuum. NFL and NBA and baseball and NHL and professional teams and professional organizations – there's an education process that's that you have to go through, correct? Whether you're a rookie or whatever, come to a team that addresses things like this. It, again, I don't think many people understand that. Yeah, and it even starts in college, especially nowadays right. with this NIL. Um, and so, you know, the second you walk through that door, you know, your coaches, your staff, they have people on staff. Um, PR people and, and, and folks to tell you what to say, how you say it, how you conduct yourself off the field or off the court. That's being done. And when you go to the NBA or the NFL, you go to a full rookie symposium. And I'm telling you, you see horror stories. You get, you know, former players come in, tell you their experiences. You have to go through different programs. Uh, you have to understand there's so many um, things that are available for you from substance abuse to drug addiction to mental health. I mean, these leagues now have so many resources for guys um, that you really, you know, 
right from wrong. You know what you should do. And then the choice falls on you, right? I'm As a man, and then this is one thing that I'm big on. You know, I, I talk about fatherhood all the time. As a man, we just have more responsibility than women do. And if we don't want to, if we want to deny that, then we're, we're we're lying to ourselves, right? I don't care what your re religion is or faith. The Bible tells us that it's about the father, that we are the head of the household. And that applies to life. And so we can't go around expecting women to be making these decisions for us or blaming women for things that we do. We got to take ownership back again. And you see it full. I mean, it's just full exposed through sports. You see how these 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 kids that are raised in this fatherless generation because we have a fatherless generation right now you're seeing these kids that are the fruit of this fatherless generation and the bible says we will know them by their fruit and they're showing us who they are the way they dress i just saw john morant got in trouble again how does this guy get in trouble again tell me that and his dad's right there in court next to him how is this guy getting in trouble again I mean, where are the positive male influences that are going to set morality again? Where are the old school coaches that don't put up with this mess? The second that it happens, they kick you off their team. What happened to that? Now it's all about the money, all about the, the, the followers, and all about the likes and retweets. You know what's funny about that, John? Um, back when Obama was president, he talked about that. Tony Dungy, two years ago, two years ago, parroted basically what Obama said about the, the crisis of fatherless kids. And Tony Dungy just got crushed. And right. to the point where Tony had to come out, he came on our show and we talked about it and he had to come out and say, look, you're crushing me for something President Obama said three years or five years ago. I don't care if you crush me. This is a problem. It's amazing that somebody or people, a lot of somebodies can crush somebody like you or Dungy or me or whoever for say, stating facts that are biblical, that fathers are necessary. They have to be involved. The numbers of incarceration, the numbers of criminals, they show it to you with factual information, not bullshit. It drives me crazy, Jack. It, it really does. And it's like, like you said, it's not like something that we're creating this problem that we're creating. Man, we just look at the last reports. You, you're you 20 times more likely to go to jail if, you, if you're fatherless. That's a big number, right? You're talking about like 90%. I mean, these, these type of uh, numbers, and you start looking at reading the math proficiency um, for fatherless homes. I think 28% of fatherless homes live in what's called poverty in America. Think about that. Let kids living in poverty, not getting enough food to eat in the United States of America, right? It's just 71% of every high school dropout in America is fatherless. Think about those numbers. That's I mean, you would be calling for a crisis. And so sports gives us a, a, a real deep view in the reality of, of what's happening, right? When you see, you know, Little League games uh, down here in Florida, they're shooting at each other and and in the stands and parents are cussing, they're smoking weed on the sidelines of eight-year-old football games. Kids, as soon as every, every after every play they make, they're dancing. And even the dances that they do are feminine now, uh, right. to be honest with you. Everything right. is feminine. Everyone wants to wear long hair. Everyone wants to have color, all that. When do you ever seen a culture that boys are, are dying and coloring their hair? And that's cool. 
Get out of here, man. It's like the next thing. Now they're putting on dresses, telling kids they can be boys, can be girls, and girls can be boys. I mean, this stuff is ridiculous. Jack, I'm glad to hear you say that because it's driving me crazy. It, you know, uh, and I know that different guys that stand up like you or Whitlock or people that say, look, these I watched some high school. I think it was a college guys dancing. And it looked like a bunch of little strippers dancing in a locker room. And I'm sitting to myself going, when did this become a God dang thing, man? Man, you tell I cannot like the way some of these kids dance. I mean, I stop them, right? As soon as they, because I coach you sports. You start doing that on my team, you run it. And I tell the parents the same way. Man, they, we're, we're feminizing these boys. And we're doing it like it's funny, like it's okay. And we've let a culture be created behind it. I mean, this is, this is, it's, it's ridiculous, man. And, but, you know, the problem is, is that the real, People, the mentors, the coaches, the folks that have the opportunity to make an impact now are being cowards. They're not being fatherly. They want to be their friends. They want to be these athletes' friends. Now these athletes are making as much as them, right? So they're coming in in college now. They're getting paid money. They're able to, you know, if, you, if you're able to, to move and go to any team you want to on a portal, whenever you want to go to the portal, you're not going to respect the coach as much because you now you feel like you got options. And it used to be where you got there, you were committed to an organization. And if somebody had to give you tough love because you needed it, you were, you, you were forced to take that. It's not the case anymore. And so the whole system was sports, right? Whether it's college or pro, um, this new appeasing community to where people feel like you got to tell people what they want to hear uh, and you can't enforce morality, you can't enforce real true discipline and respect and honor and, and accountability. All those things are, are, are really being dismissed, not just in culture, but primarily in sports. Uh, and I think that's where voices like yours, this entire station, um, is able to speak into because people see it. And it's why people don't want their, their kids growing up to be like half of these athletes. It's the reason why people don't always take their kids to sports games like they used to because the messaging and the things that they see and what they get exposed to uh, is just not righteous. You know, Jack, you mentioned John Morant and his dad. A good friend of mine, Seth Greenberg, when, when Morant was at Murray State, you know, he kind of found Morant. And he went down there to do a game and he did a special on Morant and Morant's dad and his mom and his family was awesome. Awesome. But all of a sudden, right here comes the money. Here comes the fame. Here comes, I'm sitting in the front row. I'm got my shades on in. And he, he says, is like, I am just stunned at the difference like this was like the American dream family. And all of a sudden the mother's calling the kid and his buddies to bring guns in a footlocker. And they're showing guns at Pacers employees under, I'm, I know we're all supposed to make money. I know we all want fame. I know we want, to, but God dang, handling that stuff is not easy. It's just it's not, not easy. It's not. And it's the root of all evil and that, and, and and it brings out that evilness. And unfortunately, you know, when I saw his dad, right, on the sideline with drinking liquor, on open lick, openly drinking liquor, sick, sipping on lip, liquor with his pants hanging, sagging on his butt. First thing I said is, come on now. 
Have you lost your mind? Now he's trying to live as if he's a 19-year-old NBA star. Man, you're the daddy, man. Have some respect. But then after that, it went further. Then all of a sudden, I look up, and he's about to get in a fight with Shannon Sharp on the sideline, which I thought both of them were wrong as grown men in front and with that status that they have in front of them, in a national televised audience. You're going to help her acting like you dugs in the street? I mean, you would, they wouldn't do that in Chicago. They wouldn't go to Philadelphia and do that. They wouldn't come down here in Miami in the streets and do that. They can do that in their safe place where they can be fake gangsters and act like they're hard and go back and forth at each other, but they won't do that in the streets. And that's what that's what the sad thing is, is, is too many people hide behind this, this false reality of being hard when, when, when they know good and well it's really making an impact on the kids in the communities that don't have them options, that don't have the finances and the capabilities uh, to go out and live lifestyles like they live. They're, they're, they're doing it for real, life or death. They're getting locked up. Their dads are locked up. Their communities, they see shootouts, right, on a regular basis. Like, those things are real and it happens. And so when you got these athletes that play to that lifestyle and try to pretend like they're gangsters and doing all of that, all you're doing is putting more young black men in prison, and you're perpetuating the impact of the fatherless epidemic. And it's wrong, and not enough people call them out for it, but I will. And I don't mind doing it because I'm in the community working with these children. And I see the impact of, of, of this selfish mentality that these athletes are carrying around this nation right now. Jack, I appreciate it, man. Keep speaking. I hope you'll come back. That's great stuff, man. Need more of it. Any, anytime, brother. God bless you, man. And I know you mentioned Tony Dungy earlier, and I say praise God for men like Tony Dungy. I yeah. was able to work with him down here in Florida signing the, the fatherhood legislation. Uh, he's a, a man I look up to tremendously uh, as a leader and someone that, that I try to emulate. Yeah, I mean, and he caught hell for giving just statistics. It's just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Jack, thank you, my friend. Thanks. Keep doing great stuff. Thank you, Dan. God bless you, brother. Yeah, that's the great Jack Brewer. See, you know what? People will go off on that, and that's ridiculous because all he's doing is speaking the truth. I mean, look, you can – I know – I understand that facts and figures can be manipulated, but not those. Hey, we got What the Hell Wednesday, and apparently since I'm in Florida, this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about all kind of Florida people, and none of them are me. Look, I've been in the house. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm I'm capable of doing something wrong. Hey, a Florida man, corn and the cob's big down here, okay? You eat corn and the cob, you get yourself a little hamburgers, you cook out, it's nice weather. Guy got mad at his mom. Guy got mad at his mom. He, um, 27-year-old guy, said, look, mom, I'm pissed. It's 3.30 in the morning. He started firing corn and the cob at his mother. The mother was hurt but she didn't sustain any real injuries. Like, you know, hey, look, a piece of corn in a cob ain't going to hurt you bad. But, hey, look, it can. They grow some big corns on the cobs down here. They'll mess around down here. We ain't afraid. But in Florida, that's what we do. Look, you and your mother get mad at each other. Start throwing around the vegetables. I assume corn in the cob's a vegetable. I don't get into that well, you know. Tomatoes are really a fruit. Yeah, I don't care. But corn on the cob is something that you go, hey, mom, I'm pissed. I'm going to hit you with the corn on the cob. 
Don't throw corn in the cob at your mom. Mom will piss you off, no doubt. Mom will annoy you, no doubt, but don't throw corn in the cob. A woman nearly chokes to death on food and then swallows a toothbrush hole in a freak accident. What are we doing? You know, it's always something. I have not looked at this, but I'm guessing it's a big one. Woman had a toothbrush with death. See what the New York Post did there? 24-year-old woman, a 21-year-old woman decided she was going to swallow her toothbrush after using it to dislodge a piece of food. So she had a piece of food stuck in her throat. All right. Next thing you know, she's trying to get it out. And she's jamming the toothbrush down there. Now, I don't know about you, but my gag reflux is serious. I don't mess around with that bad boy. It gets me all the time. But anyway, she, um, she was eating turkey on the 29th. She began to choke. Her first move was to grab her toothbrush, try to force turkey out of her throat. She went too far and gulped down the toothbrush. She had to act quickly. My dad couldn't help me. He's stuck in a wheelchair. He's got a damaged Achilles tendon, so I decided to help myself by using a toothbrush. Because it was only getting worse, I grabbed the first thing I could get, toothbrush. At the moment that the turkey became loose, so did her toothbrush. She tried to hold it, but boom, down it went. She's all right. Mom and toothbrush are doing just fine. Everybody's okay. At least that was in Spain. It's not down here in the land of crazy, which is Florida. And I don't understand why everybody's mad at DeSantis anyway. All right. Cops arrested a dude. Raise your hand if you haven't done this. Cops arrest a dude. Dude's going to get a DUI. Listen, read that right there. Florida man tells cops he wasn't drinking and driving because he was only drinking bourbon while he was stopped. Dude goes to the stop sign. And has a drink. I'm not drinking and driving. I think he's taking the words drinking and driving literal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he's being literal with that. Sometimes you have to wonder if people in Florida just want to keep up the narrative of the Florida crazy man. He was stopped by the cops claiming he wasn't drinking and driving because he was only drinking. Earl Stevens Jr., on uh, this body, uh, six months, uh, three or four months ago, was mad. He hit the back of a woman's car several times. Deputy found that Stevens didn't have a driver's license. Open, notice an open bottle of Jimmy Beam sitting right there. Dude, sixty-nine years old, real estate agent. He was arrested for not having a license. He was arrested for DUI. People said, "Hey, the deputy found." He's doing some sniffing. Smells like Jim Beam. Guy's breath. Jim Beam. Car. Jim Beam. Bottle. Jim Beam. Speech. Slurred. Eyes. Glassy. Guy said, hey, you've been drinking. DUI guy said, yeah, I don't know. About three drinks. Asked again. He said four drinks. Told the deputy he felt pretty good. Said he didn't do too good. Didn't do too good on the driving test. I asked him if he was drinking in the vehicle. He said no. When I asked him where he was drinking, my guy Earl said I was drinking at the stop sign. He said he wasn't drinking while the car was moving. He only stopped at stop signs to drink. That is literally the definition of taking the words drinking and driving literal. And I know a bunch of cops, and I don't know a single cop that would think to let the guy off 
because he wasn't drinking while he was driving. He was only drunk while he was in his car. How about this? Cops, a uh, man gives cops dash cam video that shows he didn't cause a car wreck, but it does show that he burglarized the store earlier. Where's this at? This is in Florida. Dude gets arrested, gets pulled over. He had a dash cam. All right. He had a dash cam that showed, no, I didn't commit this. I didn't crash. Xavier Inacio Moran was involved in a crash. He had cut someone off. He caused a wreck. He provided Palm Beach, Florida police with a dash cam. It showed what happened in the wreck. Dash cam, great. No wreck. However, the police didn't just stop at watching the wreck. They watched a dash cam. Images of Moran taking a baseball bat from his trunk and also of someone breaking the glass of a beauty salon and burglarizing the joint were on the dash cam. He was arrested. Two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intent to kill, resisting an officer, and escaping. Look, this is like Hunter Biden. Like One of the things that comes out of Hunter Biden is, why does Hunter Biden tape all of his stuff? Why does he tape all of his transgressions with hookers and blow and being passed out? Rule of thumb. If you're doing something bad, don't tape it. If by chance it gets taped, delete it. I don't think that's such a stretch. I think that's pretty good advice. Joe Kinsey, our man Joe Kinsey, the holy grail of John Daly memorabilia. According to Golf Memorabilia Collective, John Morton, there is someone on Facebook who got the Hall of Fame of John Daly memorabilia. You ready? Pack of Marlboros, Diet Cokes, and a share size pack of M&Ms, all autographed by Daly. A pack of smokes, Marlboros, of course. I don't think they're Marlboro lights. I think they're Marlboro heavy. Diet Coke, because, well, you know, Daly's trying to stay fit. And the share size pack of M&Ms. Will Brinson is a golf rider. There it is. He said that John Daly, while playing golf and following Daly for 18 holes, had 21 cigarettes, 20, uh, 12 Diet Cokes, six packs of peanut M&Ms. There, ladies and gentlemen, is the holy grail of John Daly right there on your screen. If you can get John Daly to sign all three of those, there is the triple crown. Home runs, batting average, and RBIs of John Daly memorabilia. What you do is you put it under glass, and away we go. Is that glorious? Hey, by the way, the new and improved OutKick store, I'm wearing it right now, baby. Yeah. It's finally here. Stock up. Get polos, T-shirts, hats, and more. All you got to do is shop.outkick.com. It's the best way to trigger the libs in your life. I know I'm buying. I already have. Look at this. Oh, wait. They're already showing that. I think I just broke the chair that I sit on. Anyway, look at this thing. I got my shirt. I got my go woke, go broke. I wore it over to my my uh, liberal uh, nieces and nephews yesterday. All right. I'm buying. You should buy too. Shop.outkick.com. 
Podcast.com. We'll be right back. Zach Wilson's mom, we're going to show her. You don't want to miss that. Harvard, still anti-Semitic. Not great. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Indiana basketball got a big win, damn it. That's right. Beating Moorhead State is no easy task, even though Purdue did it by 30. That's all right. A hangover effect, like Indiana only got beat by four by Kansas, so now Indiana fan, our players apparently are fat and happy. I'll never understand the world that we live in. I used to. I don't now because I'm older. And when you're older, you act like you didn't go through all the same things that other people did. You act like you were pristine and perfect. And, of course, we're not. But I got to tell you, look at that OutKick shirt. This is a great shirt. I'm going to wear it around. We're going to make OutKick the new MAGA hat. We're going to make people crazy. Go, Jennifer. I got to get you something. We got to get some uh, don't at me gear on there where we just tell the world to sack the living hell up. You know what I mean? Just sack up. Jennifer got mad at Indiana yesterday, Jen Gritty on our show. She made snickerdoodles during the IU game and didn't want to watch. Uh, Speaking of don't want to watch, here's the deal. Zach Wilson's mother, I talked about this earlier. Zach Wilson is struggling. It hasn't gone well for him. He's made a lot of money. You know, he's had a lot of sex apparently. But Zach Wilson's mother is trying to be a blogger. And I've always said this about mommies and daddies. Stay off social media, at least about your children's athletic career. I did it. Lee did it with her daughter. I mean, we didn't even – I don't even think Lee showed, like, great plays that Tegan did. I did, but I don't even know if Lee did because, well, Lee and I understand it doesn't go well. But Zach Wilson, apparently, according to his mom, suffered serious head trauma during a loss to Miami when his mother, Lisa, claimed he lost the ability to see properly. After taking multiple hits, he hid the symptoms but kept playing. Here's at life according to Lisa. Yesterday was a little bit rough. Um, Zach took some really, really big hits. And he fought through it and really tried to just stay out on the field. He didn't want to go off. He didn't want to stop playing. So he didn't really tell um, the sideline, the coaches, the trainers, how he was really feeling. And he tried to just to just fight through it and keep going and so he could be out there for his guys. And then finally, um, after one more blow to the head, he really started having problems with blurred vision and his depth perception. And he started really worrying that um, he was actually going to hurt his team if he stayed out there because he his vision um, was not right and and you can't you can't play like that. Yeah, if you want a tutorial on what not to do, that's what not to do. Like you may sit there and go, oh, isn't that nice? His mother's defending him. Zach Wilson has to deal with that. Zach Wilson now has to deal with doctors and trainers and coaches that are like, wait a second here. Why is your mother doing this? Why do we now have to deal with this? Why do we now have to discuss something that who knows if it's true or not? I don't know whether it's true or not. 
But now he's got to deal with it because his mommy is defending him. And then he's got to deal with the not really outwardly like people aren't outwardly going to say, Hey, mama's boy, but just a side eye. The last, let me put it this way. Did you ever see Michael Jordan's mother do that? Did you ever see Peyton Manning's mother do that? Did you ever see Tom Brady's mother do that? Did you ever see Derek Henry's mother do that? I mean, I'm just saying, think of the great players. Now I'm always only using great players because if you're the second pick and ever see LeBron James, I guess his mother was kind of weird for a little bit. You ever see Isaiah's mom do that? I mean, you ever see Magic or Bird or Steph Curry's? I mean, they cheer, they root, but they're not out there making excuses for their kids. You just don't. You you just simply don't do that. And I can't emphasize this enough to you guys that are parents. You know, your buddy, hey, little buddy, he's not little buddy anymore. If he's playing in college or he's playing in the NFL, they can handle it. Like I said last year when that Braden Smith had to have his question answered by his teammate, Zach Eady. Look, Braden Smith's the first team, Big Ten, all Big Ten player. That's greatness, in my opinion. I have so much respect for the Big Ten that if you're a freshman, first team, all Big Ten, are you kidding me? You don't need a teammate to answer any questions for you, period. If you're a freshman and you're just getting into starting lineup, and yeah, maybe. But just don't do it, mommies and daddies. Don't do it. It not. It may make you feel good. Look, my little buddy Zach. I defend. No, no. You know, I went to Harvard's graduation, and I wondered about this. Harvard is frantically removing web pages that further display its stance or lack of stance on Jews, revealing that Harvard doesn't consider the Jewish community as an identity we're celebrating. I saw this at graduation. Fox News Digital reports that Harvard previously touted specific graduation celebrations for identifying groups, affinity celebrations for graduates. The page no longer exists. An archive version of the website does, and it reveals that Harvard didn't consider the Jewish community an an identity group worth celebrating. Universities celebrated black graduates, Arab graduates, late, late, late Latin X, LGBT plus, and indigenous graduates. When I went to Tegan's graduations, I saw all these. Like they had all of these different scarves around their neck. I don't know what you officially call them, whatever you call them. And all of those groups were celebrated. I'm like, what's that? That's Arab. What's that? Latin X. What's that? LGBT, whatever the hell that stupid stuff is. Indigenous. All right. Black. All right. I remember asking T, we got anything for white people? Like, do we have a WASP graduation? Do we have a Catholic graduation? What we got here? You know, Harvard tried so hard. And I remember seeing it going, this seems over the top and ridiculous. But everybody in the white community or the Jewish community or the, well, just the white or the Jewish community or both, which I guess it is both, you got to sit there and take it. You got to sit there and go, oh, that's great. Like everybody, if you go to Harvard, whatever your background is, you're one of the elite. I mean, you can act like you're uh, prejudiced against. You can act like you're downtrodden. You can act like you're beaten. You can act like you're down, but you're one of the elite just by being there. Just I felt like I was one of the elite just by walking around campus knowing Tegan. I always said, man, my Harvard journey was great because I got to act smart. 
I mean, Indiana, let's be honest, they hand out degrees on the corner. Hey, you want a degree? Yeah, give me telecom. All right. You think any of these clowns that play basketball in Indiana now that are getting paid? Like back in the day, we had to go to class. Back in the day, night was on you. Now they've changed everything to where you don't even deal with it as the coach. So stop it. But at Harvard, I, I you know, it, it did. It bothered me. I saw it. I saw it at a big old reception they had. They had this huge tent. This was like uh, Harvard graduations, like Thursday to Saturday. It was Thursday to Saturday. It was long. It was great. I had a great time. But I'm there, and everybody's got their robes, and I'm like, yo, Tegan, you're like magna cum laude or whatever. Where's your thing? Oh, well, you know, that's indigenous. That's Latinx. That's black. That's I'm like, what? Everybody's downtrodden. You aren't if you're at Harvard. They're just putting you that way. You can act it. You can act down with the cause, but you ain't. Not even a little. Victor Hovland shut down rumors that he's leaving for the live tour. Live tour is interesting right now. Like it's unwatchable. And I feel bad for John Rahm because he got all that money. He had to go. He had no choice. He had no choice. Come on. There's no choice. John Rahm had you give someone 600 million. No one's turning it down. Well, you know, he was making enough and he's, He's doing murderous things. Well, then nobody should go to University of Arkansas because the centerpiece on campus of Fountain was funded by dudes from Qatar. Number one sponsor, Middle East folk. They're sponsoring everything. I'm sure this freaking mic that I'm looking at, which is called Sure, by the way, is somehow got some Middle East folk. But anyway, Victor Hovland, who's becoming one of the stars, and there's a reason. He's really uber talented. He always seems like he's smiling. If you watch Victor Hovland, he's always like, anyway, Hovland said it would be a bit too silly to criticize the players for leaving. After all, you only hear one angle in the media. And there are quite a few different parts happening at the same time. I totally understand why Rom left. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I don't think their product is that great. I'm not such a fan of, for example, playing without a cut. You need the competition with 150 players in a cut. If you don't play well enough, you're out. Something about it that makes your game a little sharper. If I'd gone to live, I don't think I would have become a better golfer. And then it is in a way, and then it is in a way under discussion. The management of the PGA Tour has not done a good job. They almost see players as labor and not as part of the members. After all, we are the PGA Tour. Without the players, there's nothing. Well, he's right about that. When you then get to see what happens behind closed doors, how management actually makes decisions, which are not in the player's best interest, but best for themselves and what they think is best, they're not professional golfers at all. They are businessmen who say that, no, it should look like this or that. There's a great deal of arrogance behind it. I think everybody understands that in every way, shape, and form, there's a lot of arrogance in the PGA tour, there's a lot of arrogance for players to say, Hey, look, this is all about us. Sure. It is. But who sets up the tournaments, who gets the prize money. So you think Victor Hovland by saying it's all about the players, are you willing to go out and raise the money? The prize money. Are you willing to go out and set up the tents? Are you willing to go out and set the stages? Are you willing to go out and set the scoreboards? Are you willing to go out and negotiate the television contracts with the different entities? Is that what you're willing to do? Because the truth of the matter is those are the things that make PGA players want to play PGA golf, the money, the attention, the fame, the notoriety, the bigness. Are, are you guys going to go out months before, redo a course, 
so that it's up to PGA Tour standards. Don't tell me this is only about the players. This is a partnership. And there is a business element that has to be involved, whether it's the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, anything. Yeah, you know, you could say an outkick. Well, you know, the people that really matter are the people on screen. That's crap. The people that really matter are Dylan and Nick and Nick and Ryan and Beth, who gets to guess, and Katie and Haley, who set the whole thing up, and Aaron, who gives us direction, and Gary, who oversees it. it has to be everybody. You know, well, OutKick's just the people on air, and NBC's just – no, they're not. So, Victor Hovland, you can say that it's just about the players, but those courses are pretty nice. Like, they'll take a great course, Crooked Stick in Indianapolis, for example. They'll take a great course, come in, and say, this needs to be done, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, that needs to be done. There's a legendary story at the Pennsylvania Monument to Golf called Oakmont. Oakmont is fantastic. It's one of the great courses in the United States. I've been lucky enough to play it twice. It's a famous story of Denny Ford, who is the pro at Oakmont, playing golf with one of the members. And they were talking about having, I believe it was the U.S. Open. It might have been the U.S. Amateur. And he's like, yeah, we got to, you know, they came in and we got to get a walking bridge over there to move the crowd. That's what the PGA tour came in. And the guy, the owner said, how much? He goes, million dollars. He goes, okay, I'll pay for it, but don't put it on my bill. Send the bill to me personally. Cause I want my wife to know that I'm spending a million dollars on a bridge. Well, the point of that for Victor Hovland is this. The PGA Tour wants things big, wants things right, or USGA or whoever's in charge of these tournaments in this instance. So are you willing to go out on a course and say, okay, this is how we're going to move 60,000 or 20,000 people in a day. This is where the parking is going to be. Of course you're not. You want to play golf. But everything has to be a partnership. And I think these guys that say it's just the players are dead wrong. I do. I, I, I think they're dead wrong. And I think they need to stop and understand that just because they don't get their way or just because they, they, it went a way that they didn't think it should doesn't necessarily make it a bad way. Kirk Ferentz, the coach of Iowa, who just wins 10 games every year. It's all he does. He threw a little shade at Lincoln Riley and USC, and I'm, not, I'm here for it. I'm here for it because Kirk Ferentz is the ultimate football guy. Kirk Ferentz is about we're going to play defense, we're going to run the ball, and we're going to win. Because let's be honest, the bottom line is winning. Iowa fans want to score 80 points a game. Kirk Ferentz wants to win. There's a bit of a headbutting going on. But here's what Ferentz had to say where people are now looking at it saying, oh, wait a second, he's throwing shade at Lincoln Rally. I think there's a guy that entered the conference recently that came with a widely acclaimed, that came with widely acclaimed offensive stance and all that. It's usually how those guys become well-known because of whatever they're doing, throwing it, running it, wishbone. You look a little deeper. So what's this guy's wins per game? Well, he meant wins per season. See, that's why my friend Urban Meyer was so respected because people knew that Urban Meyer, sure, he had initial spread offense chops, but the program was built on old-school Kirk Ferentz-type toughness. That's what you win with. That's why people in the coaching community think Harbaugh's a pretty damn good coach. Because his teams play pretty clean. You don't see a lot of stupid penalties. They play tough. Defense is tough. Offensive line physical. But Kirk Ferentz is saying, wait a second. Lincoln Riley, and he goes farther. 
There's a school on the West Coast right now that's going to recommit to defense. Talking about USC. They gave up 42 to Tulane last year in a bowl game at a place where Ronnie Lott played. So now they're going to think defense, you know. He's just talking about, yes, offense is important. Of course it is. Absolutely it is. But Kirk Ferris wins games. And it's amazing to me that style over substance is even in Big Ten football. If you go back historically, Big Ten football is the epitome of substance over style football. Three yards in a cloud of dust. The 10-year war, Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler, Hayden Fry came in. A couple guys have tried and had a little bit of success. Mike White in the early 80s came from junior college, brought in Dave Wilson, who threw for over 600 yards in one game, and they went to the Rose Bowl. There have been a few outliers like that. But the fact of the matter is toughness wins in football, and I ain't mad even a little bit, not even a skosh at Kirk Ferris for reminding people, because make no mistake, a new female athletic director came from Ball State into Iowa, and she and her cronies made Kirk Ferris get rid of her son, Brian, as the offensive coordinator, even though Kirk Ferris has been coaching before that woman ever thought about getting into athletics. That's how Kirk Ferris is thinking. You can tell he's not, but he is. I like Kirk Ferris. I'm going to root for Kirk Ferris, but that offense, whoo, abysmal. Woke a dope. I love that picture. Sir, this spot is for handicap only. Eating bugs will change the weather. Sorry for bothering you. Have a nice day. I don't think I get the full gist of that, but the one thing that I get from that is it does not matter what you say, global warming or blue, green, whatever, the new green deal is it. It's all we care about. Sir, this spot is for handicap only. Any bugs will change the weather. That's like, I just say stuff. Just go Tourette's on their ass. Okay. Global warming. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say global warming? Greta Thornburg. Oh, okay. Have a nice day. Next. Man, I love this show. Yeah. Build back better Christmas 2020. That's all we can afford. And the only reason we can afford this stand is because we've had it in the attic. We had to get it out, get out a Brillo pad. Those of you that don't know what a Brillo pad, an SOS pad, a lot of you don't know what an SOS pad is. We had to scrape off the rust, repaint it green, and use it. That's all we can afford, a Christmas tree the size of my finger and a package that holds one nut. Hey, man, what'd you get me? I got you an M&M. It's under the tree. Really? Oh, man, that's cool. I got offended today by Charlie. She asked me where my tan was. So I'm going out right after this show. And I'm just going to sit in the sun. And I'm going to bake. I'm going hatless. To hell with skin cancer. Screw skin cancer. I'm going hatless. Next. Name something you won't find at the border. Camilla, the czar, or Joe, the maniac. Man, 
isn't it amazing? You got all this stuff going on. I want you to think about this. The mayor of Chicago is mad at the governor of Texas for bringing immigrants, illegal immigrants that are coming into Texas in droves up to the sanctuary city. But the mayor of Chicago isn't mad at the clown on the bottom right there, the borders are, or the clown on the bottom left there, the president, for undoing as everybody that has ever come on our show that has been to the border, including Brian Erlacher and others, for opening and get rid, getting rid of all of President Trump's border policies, enabling an open border, hamstring border patrol security, and allowing military-aged men to come into our cities, and yet a sanctuary city like New York, like Chicago, who brags about, give us your dreamers, is now mad because they were given the dreamers. But nobody's mad at Dumb and Dumber here. Jeez, nobody's mad at Daniels and Carrie here, or Carrie and Daniels. Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels, Dumb and Dumber. Why is that? I ain't knowing. I want to talk like George Pickens. I ain't know. I just, I ain't know. I just ain't know. Sorry, but I don't. Hey, and one last, last thing, college basketball edition. You know, I like the fact that Butler basketball is coming back. I like the fact that Thad Mata is coming back as well. Thad Mata, pretty nice guy. But I got to tell you, I don't like the fact that Butler fans are back. I don't. There are three kinds of fans in the great state of Indiana, and we're seeing it right now. The Purdue fan. The Purdue fan thinks that it's all going to go bad. The Purdue fan is looking around going, we're number one in the country, but it's always out. And it's not just Rhode Island or uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, and it's not just St. Peter's. It's North Texas. It's Arkansas Little Rock. It's Mitch Richmond and Kansas State. It's having to go to Memphis and play Keith Lee and Dana Kirk on their home court in 84 when we got to go play a neutral site game at Indiana against Richmond, even though it was supposed to be against Barkley. It's always there for Purdue, right in the back of the head. Indiana, Indiana beats Moorhead State last night by one. Indiana fans are like, hey, this could propel us to the greatest run ever and a sixth national championship. Look, we didn't lose. Now, contrast that with Indiana football barely beating Akron and celebrating and people losing their mind over the celebration. But Indiana beating Moorhead, I've seen it. Oh, man, this could propel us. Really? And then there's Butler fans. Butler fan is the smartest in their mind of all things. After years of nothing, from Tony Hinkle till all of a sudden Todd Licklider, when they or uh, Barry Collier when they got okay, to Brad Stevenson, Brad Stevens taking them to incredible heights, the Butler fan came back, and many Indiana fans, disgusted by Mike Davis and Calvin Sampson and probably me, went over to Butler, and Butler was the swell, you know. 
Brad says that the circumference of the basket can fit two basketballs. Now, nobody ever decided to test this theory. Butler fans are obnoxious. Butler fans are crazy. Not crazy in a good way. Crazy in a nerdy way. They're closet Indiana basketball fans, but because Butler has a team that looks like it can beat people because they beat Georgetown last night, and because they turned the world's crappiest arena, at least put a coat of paint on it, and now they call it the Cathedral Basketball, the very washed dump that is Hinkle Fieldhouse. Go there one time with an open mind and tell me it's not a dump. Now we got to listen to Butler fans, and I don't like it. I don't like it. Indiana fans, six national championship is coming this year. If you saw the game last night, you know it's coming. Purdue fans, I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be Central Connecticut State. But it's coming. And Butler fans, eh, we'll see you tomorrow.